Well, now here we are. We're recording. It's time. <laughs> you look nervous. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I can't do it. My name is Jacob Alexander Ferg. That's my full name. Uh, and I'm sitting here with Chris Erickson. Chris, what's your middle name? Michael. Michael. Chris Michael Erickson. That's, uh, sounds kind of weird. No, it sounds weird. It's Christopher Michael Erickson. Christopher yeah. Michael Erickson. Okay. Yeah. The, the Topher, like, helps. Uh, have you ever considered going by the name Topher? Uh, briefly. <laughs> <laughs> like, it comes and goes. Yeah, grow your hair out. Yeah, stone it can be very artistic or just weird. For the listeners who don't know you, can you give a uh, a brief history of, or a brief personal history of your experience in improv and your experience of being artistic director? Because you've been an artistic director twice now, if I'm correct, right? Yes, I have. Okay, so yeah, just a, a, a quick like Spark Notes version of the lineage of Chris Erickson. Well, the lineage of Chris Erickson as far as improv is concerned. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, not, not from the time you reported. That's <laughs> all the light. So I first got into improv in a community group when I was in high school. And we then turned it into a more professional group. And that was called Star Craving Improv. So that was the first group I was ever in. We did uh, performances at like local theaters and stuff like that. And so that, and then I, that really got me hooked. And then as I graduated high school, it actually my interest in improv helped me determine which college I wanted to go to because I saw the dead parrots in a festival and was like, yeah, I want to be part of the dead parrot society. And so then I applied to Western, got into Western. And then as soon as I was there, started doing stuff with them and got into the group right away, which was awesome and performed with them regularly. And then I moved away and didn't complete my college actually, because I was going to do a practicum for being a high school teacher. And eventually came back to Western, rejoined the Dead Parrot Society, and at that time kind of saw that it didn't have quite have what it used to have. So I went for the artistic director role, and I got that, and I was artistic director of the Dead Parrot Society for two years. And then graduated finally from Western <laughs> after an extended stay. And uh, right along that time, I knew that I wanted to continue improv, so I started getting involved with uh, the Upfront Theater and doing their GBU, which was open to anybody at the time. And then auditioned for them and got into the Upfront Theater in, what was it? 2010, I believe. We're, yeah, 2010. For the listener, we're sitting in uh, in the green room of the upfront. So everyone, everyone who has got has been brought up to main stage has at some place on the wall written their name and the date, amongst many other names. Right. So I was just searching for mine in that yeah. moment. Yeah, 2010 was like I got in first got in the upfront theater and just continued to be part of the main stage for a while there, and then it would have been what 2000. 14, that I became the sales and marketing director. Uh, eventually, that led into what my role is now as the artistic and education director. And I've been doing that now so for, I guess that was two and a half years ago. So I've been artistic and education director at the Upfront for about two years now. Okay, so um, so I, I like to start off the podcast with a big, ambiguous question. Uh, and you, it, feel free to interpret this and answer it in any way that you so choose. But what is your personal slash collaborative artistic direction? 
personal slash collaborative artistic direction. Yeah, personal and or so it's like a, like I think everyone has a personal artistic direction, but then there's also the artistic direction when you come over you're you're leading over a group. So what is that? <laughs> Answer nothing. <laughs> uh, well I guess in a way I see improv and each improviser as not necessarily one focus is the best way to do improv. Mm-hmm. And I know that some people see it that way. It's like, oh, yeah, you definitely need to do it, you know, the, the Chicago I.O. way or whatever it is. I see it as a take it all in and use what works for you. And that's what I try to do in my collaborative artistic director way, too, is try to teach people and get them exposed to as much as possible so that then they can find what works for them and they become better improvisers. And where that comes in my guidance is that I try to also focus it a little bit yeah. more because sometimes that can get real scattershot where everyone's like, what, what if we do, what, 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 you know, hearing those things out and then kind of, you need a leader or else it just doesn't work. It's and just a collective of people yeah, talking to and you. And honestly, I think you need one leader because I've seen groups, dead parrots being one of them that have had two leaders at one time. And it just does not go well. Yeah. So having, you know, that one leader, not like some person just taking over everything, but you need one person to guide it down one line so that we all get on board. So how do you go about finding and identifying individual specific improv needs while still serving the group as a whole? Is it, do you gauge what the group is needing to work for example if the if a lot of people in the group need to work on character work is is that sort of the scatter shot where it's like okay like i've noticed a few people need to make stronger character choices or uh, is it more of a this person needs to work on this i'll do this exercise this person person needs to do this i'll work on this exercise is there a, a tactic that you use going into that yeah usually it's the what is needed most from the group yes yeah. Almost always, you will need more work in that one area. So it's never going to hurt you to work more on it. You know, if this person's still doing really great at characters, some more character work for them is going to be just fine. Whereas six other people really need the character work. I'm going to cover character work. And if this person who's really good at characters is maybe not moving scenes forward enough, then that's a one-on-one type of note that I make sure that they receive so that they can apply that as well. And I'm not just leaving them to drift away. So where do you draw the line between uh, one-on-one note versus exercise that can benefit the group? I guess it's when I see that it's choices that are changing what, what they're doing on, on stage as opposed to what will be created in the scene. Okay. I see. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah. So it's like, it's personal choices versus like, a choice that will affect like the direction of what's a right. artistic direction. Of what's right. Happening. And it's, you know, it's the one-on-one type notes usually end up being that kind of like people are getting in their head, you know, second guessing their choices or they're, they're kind of guiding themselves off in a different direction. That's in a way taken away from the scene and the group, but can't really be addressed completely as a group because a lot of it relies on this one individual. But I can do character work with everyone. I can do story work with everyone. Yeah, so yeah. there are broad things that is nice for everyone, but then sometimes you just need to, you just really sometimes you just need to hear one person say, "Hey, da 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 da." There's this thing that's happening, uh, and that's important to address. You've been 
in the artistic director. Uh, let's go to the dead parents first because I'm I'm interested in both the way that the dead parents and the upfront uh, add members to their main stage uh, because I think in my personal experience, and I'm sure that there's other theaters that do the same things, but both groups have a unique way of bringing people up. And if I'm not mistaken, you're the person who, who created the manner in which the dead parents uh, bring people up. So am I right about that? The unanimous decision? Oh, the unanimous decision? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about like what, what was the logic behind making that choice? How did you come to the conclusion that it would be most beneficial to the group to have a unanimous decision? Well, because we had seen it happen before where it wasn't a unanimous decision or it was kind of like we didn't want it to be, well, these people have more say over it and that's why this person got in because this person's going to then be working with everybody. Yeah. And it needs to be that sort of majority that's with it. And we had enough kind of attention towards people wanting to get in and mm-hmm. I guess I guess enough what do you call it supply yeah, yeah. enough supply yeah. in order to really raise up our demand yeah yeah which set that you know unanimous decision in that everybody is going to be really happy that this person comes in and makes that person feel really accepted because everybody wanted them and that's going to feel really good yeah absolutely and I think for the upfront theater that supply sometimes isn't always as high or at least maybe the, the how good the supply is the skill yeah the, <laughs> the, the, the skill, skill level, level of the supply of the coming people yeah. yeah so what the upfront theater does is we have a satellite ensemble where we have people audition to get in a satellite and then they train with me the artistic director over a 4 to 8 month period in order to see if they can get better or uh, to see how they are in a group or if it wasn't just some fluke thing that they did good in audition and they can't do good in shows yeah and so that's really helped us to see what a person is really made of as far as their improv talent goes and before it was a audition and they got straight into main stage and that had bit us in the ass yeah there's some ramifications yeah there had been some times where someone had a great audition and then they got on the main stage and just continued to not do well. Yeah. And we were like, what happened here? It, which, is, which is funny because I think people t- tend to, uh, in auditions, worry that they're missing a good, a good person will have a bad audition. But I think it's way worse if someone who maybe doesn't have the proper skill set or doesn't ha- hasn't been with the form enough... Uh, just happens to have a really good audition, and then you're you're sort of expecting them to recreate what happened during the audition. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so the the satellite the satellite really I think very very effectively uh, mitigates that because you have people coming in, and you the artistic director to work with them uh, regularly once a week, and then they also the nice thing is um, they get to do shows, uh, and I'm. I want to talk about because the good, the bad, and the ugly on Thursday is, I think, one of the most effective also shows that I've seen in a theater. Um, when, when did the good, the bad, and the ugly start? I actually don't know. The start of the theater. So the, the very okay. So yeah, it's been it's running for the whole entire theater. Yeah, it's um, been like the the one regular show that's continued through all of the different artistic directors and things like that. Yeah. So um, can you just uh, can you? for the listener, describe how the good, the bad, and the ugly is structured, and then also 
I guess, like, what it means to give students and satellite members a, a slot at the beginning of a very popular show. I think that, like, that encourages people a lot. Yeah, so the Good, the Bad, the Ugly is our regular Thursday 8 o'clock show. Every week we have it Thursday 8 o'clock, unless, you know, some big holiday falls on it, like Christmas or something like that. But we've been running it since we opened in, was that, 2004. And what it was set up to do is to give students an opportunity to be in sort of one of our big shows, not just have some offshoot show of their own, but to be involved with main stagers as far as doing a show. So they open up the show, they do a half hour set, and then the rest of the show is uh, main stage groups. Being able to allow students that opportunity to do what is essentially a real show in front of a live audience, Week paid. to week, yeah, yeah, a big live audience that we we oftentimes will sell out is a big thing for them. And then what we've done recently is switched it on and off between students one week and satellite the next week. And so satellite also has that opportunity to play in front of a big audience and perform and see how their improv in a way changes because it does it does change for people yeah. once they get in front of an audience and and in some ways their improv shouldn't change. But then getting notes for that of like, you know, what are you doing differently? Are you trying to go for the joke? Things like that come out of people. And yeah, it just helps them improve dramatically. Yeah. Uh, when did Satellite get... Did you introduce the idea of Satellite to the theater or was that before you? Right before me. Billy was the first one to handle Satellite. And then I took it over almost immediately after. Okay. How did... um. Was that received well when I was first introduced, or was that oh, sort yeah. of a fully administrative? It was it received well? Yeah, it was... That was a, received by main stage and students, and people are interested in getting on really well, because it gave them that time to work with the artistic director. Yeah. Right? Even if they didn't get on, it was like, oh, you get some free classes. Yeah, exactly. Is there a difference between how you approach teaching satellite versus how you approach teaching main stage or like directing the main stage group in rehearsals not really okay the only difference is that i see these groups as very different and separate groups and so uh again going back to what we were talking about before i teach what they need yeah so i see from those satellite performances on gbus this need for story work to move the action forward and so then i teach that and sometimes those things line up with what the main stage needs. And so I teach somewhat similar things sometimes, some days, and then they can be completely opposite. Okay, interesting. Other Mondays, yeah. Is there a thing that you have seen as an overall issue with the satellite group that might not be an issue with the main stage group? and like, Or maybe that might be an issue for why the satellite members are still in a satellite level of engagement and can't quite make like bridge the gap to main stage is there like a single prevalent issue or do you think it's more specific a lot of it is very specific to each of those satellite members but i think there is a prevalent thing which is the confidence on stage Mm. and main stagers have that because they've been there and they understand and even when you come up as a satellite member into main stage you're still kind of questioning yourself a lot and that is this build, but eventually you get to this place where it's like, oh, there it is. And so I look for that kind of thing in satellite members to see if they will be able to get over that. 
Yeah. Because a lot of times it's not a clear they're they're going to be just fine while they're in satellite. That oh they they have great confidence they're being bold on stage because some do, but other ones I'm I'm gauging whether that is going to continue to be a problem for them because we've seen that in the past on the main stage where we don't want people just holding off to the sides being wallflowers because they're unsure about their choices. Uh, do you th- have you found is there a way to nurture that confidence out of people who are not necessarily confident on stage? To is there a way? To, yeah, to, to get people to be more confident on stage. Is it is there a, is there a way as a teacher that you can approach that, or is is there a piece of advice that you have for people who aren't confident on stage? Yeah, a lot of times, because sometimes if people really take it in it's it's this deep inner thing for them that this confidence level is in their daily life maybe not coming out so big and i tell them fake it if you just put it out there and you believe it you know if you're if you're making sure that you believe in your choices and what you're doing even if you don't everyone's gonna believe it the audience is gonna be right on board with you there's gonna be no question about it so whatever choice you make was the right choice. Huh. Even if you didn't think it was. Yeah. Just believe it, fake it that it is, and people will jump right on board with you. I think at a certain point, you'll realize that you don't have to fake it anymore. Right. Yeah. It's all about don't second guess yourself. Mm-hmm. We had that in Dead Parrot Society, our, our motto, at least when I some of what I was going through was don't think. Yeah. You know, of course you're thinking. You're thinking hundred miles a second yeah. when you're doing improv. But the idea is moreover, don't second guess the choice that you've made. Just yeah. go with it. And that's what the epitome of yes. And is you make a choice. Someone's going to say yes to it and it's going to be the right choice. Yeah. Cause no matter what you did, they should be saying yes and adding to it. Yeah. And if you think, and you're thinking at a hundred miles per hour and you think about you thinking you're kind of like, you're throwing a block in front of yourself and you're stopping that, that forward momentum. Right. Yeah. So just keep going. Just, I mean, fake it is maybe the wrong word, but like, just keep going. Yeah. Whatever your choice is, it's going to be the right choice. You'll, you'll make it work. How has the transition? So, so both these teams you've been part of, you've been a member of the team and then you've transitioned over to artistic director. Can you talk about the quality I'm. I have to assume that there's some sort of like tangible change in quality of interaction when you move from just another member to the leader of a group. Uh, can you like just speak towards that, or like like what have your personal experiences been with switching over to artistic director? Well, certainly people treat you differently, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it's just that you can see sort of that second guess type thing again coming up for them of being like oh is Chris looking at me now as an improviser making a scene with me or judging me as an artistic director and so it's when I'm playing because I still play uh, in main stage shows it's that that kind of dynamic is hard to deal with sometimes when people won't in a way let it go right because how what I believe is that we all step out there we're on equal footing yeah it doesn't matter if it's, you know, somebody, it's Del Close that you're walking on, it's Ryan Stiles, who we've done improv with. Yeah. You, and you just need to see it as I have just as much to offer 
as this other person does. Yeah. You almost stop being the artistic director when you... Right. And that's the way I see it. And that's what, the way I wish others would see it. But yeah. I can see that kind of feeling come up in, in people sometimes. And it really doesn't turn off uh, as far as me being artistic director here. Everyone's mm-hmm. always got something yeah. that they, they want to come to me about. Yeah. Which is fine and good. It's like I want to continue to help those things. But it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant... So, uh, so this is an interesting. This is kind of a, uh, a thing. as an artistic director, I think that it is your one of the primary responsibilities is uh, delivering notes about shows to team members, and you are kind of you are the one who uh, guides the team, I guess. And if you see someone who can use encouragement or maybe like has a bad habit, you're the one that uh, presents the notes to them. I think there's a bit of a mindset switch when you are physically actually in the show because you're not really thinking about giving people notes. So is there a way that you manage uh, at the end of a show that you've been in when you come backstage and are giving notes? uh, Is there a way that you manage that cognitive shift? Well, for me, I don't turn it off either. I, I think maybe I've become an artistic director twice because it's always been a natural progression for me that I'm always on stage and I'm and I'm sort of watching and taking notes not judging but like seeing every aspect of it not yes. only what I'm doing but watching myself yeah from a third eye or whatever and then watching others and what they're doing and how can I contribute and find the right place to make the scene better for them so I'm looking at all these different aspects so coming back and doing notes and just clicking into a sort of artistic director way of giving notes is a seamless transition for me. That's, would you say it's the same quality of, of observation when you're on stage and off, like in the back off stage, uh, taking notes on a show? Is there a bit of a difference between those two? I would say there's probably some things that I would maybe miss, uh, as far as when I'm on stage. I mean, there's got to be something, right? But yeah. for the most part, I do. I mean, when I'm off on the side, and I'm not thinking, oh, what's the next thing I I can do that's going to be great? It's I'm paying very close attention to what's going on, and then trying to contribute where I can. And I guess in that moment of trying to contribute where I can, maybe I'd miss something that I would give a note from yeah. as a just a regular observer. I think that that helps me too because that that's the mindset that I'm in where some improvisers can get over to the side and watch a scene and then just really get into their head mm-hmm. about like, okay, I got to think of the next clever character <laughs> or next clever thing to do. And fortunately I just don't really find myself in that mind space. So it's almost the act of needing to give notes sort of reinforces the manner of thought that you're already in which is like how I'm how I'm engaged in the show I have to like see this yeah what does this need what's going on here where is this going what are these characters about I'm looking at that as a performer all the time so then looking at those things as an artistic director and just writing more of it on a notepad I mean I get, that would be the piece that I'm missing right yeah well, so you don't have where, where's my that. memory failing as, as I'm going back yeah I wrote it on a notepad when I was watching the show yeah would you say that um that quality of thought uh affects you as an improviser as far as as far as so you are on the sideline because i feel like even if you weren't the artistic director I, this is kind of just me knowing you you are a very like 
I don't want to say deconstructionist, but that's kind of the term we'll, that I'll use. Yeah, um, I think that, yeah, yeah, same page on that one where that's where I think me going into being artistic director is very natural because that's just how my brain works. Yeah. I'm doing that as an improviser. So me supplying others with this train of thought that I'm already doing is just helpful for people to have. And it applies directly to that artistic director kind of way. If that's just how I look at improv and think of improv as a performer is, yeah, deconstructing every little part, not to judge it or make artistic accusations about how it should have done, but seeing every part so I can know where it's going, what it needs, how to help. When you translate that to giving a note to someone, that's notes are a very tricky subject because certain people interpret notes in different ways and I think this is a universal issue that pretty much every artistic director has to deal with is understanding that you need to be giving notes I think that's a requirement Right. but the way that you give one person a note may be fine and dandy for them but if you give the other another person the same note in the same way they might interpret that as a personal front or something like that or they might they might want you to be more direct even uh, is there a way that you go about presenting notes to people uh, and do you think there's a there's a good overall way to do that the act of giving notes right I mean for some you do get that feedback of like I can take more direct notes and so I'll give them more direct notes but there's that the difference between that one on one instead of taking a group who's just performed and giving them all notes at the same time for that group I like to keep it in that observational world of here's what I saw, here's what I perceived, I thought was going on, and maybe allowing them to elaborate a little bit more on like, oh, where were you coming from on that? The more you make accusations, the more people put up walls and stop listening to your notes altogether. You can't say you did this, why have you done this? Or you should have done this. You should have done this. This choice would have been better. You know, this this directing it to a spot instead of just being like, I saw this, here's what I noticed, here's what I saw, and here's the after effects of that observation. So just laying it out and then trying to get on a level playing field with where they were coming from with, you know, their things. And sometimes people have no idea and they're like, oh, I didn't even know I was doing that. And yeah. others have, oh, well, I was trying to do this. So, okay, well, that wasn't clear. Getting that out of people gets good feedback going getting them to realize more about what's going on instead of just telling them and telling them to change it is the way to get good notes and good feedback you got to get them thinking about it otherwise they're gonna they're not gonna do anything with it yeah you have to present them with the idea and let them like create their own conclusions right you can't give them conclusions do you think it's ever appropriate for uh cast members after a show to give other cast members notes so like outside of you as a director entity like if I were to give someone else on scene like if I were to give um, a, like one of the, a carry a note or something mm-hmm. do you think that's appropriate or do you think it should be the artistic director I think it is and you gotta be careful with that level at which you do it again giving observations giving things about where you saw or where you were coming from instead of telling them what they were trying to do to you yeah you know if you're not communicating with each other and being able to talk about the improv you're doing you're never going to understand and help each other find those places and you getting a better understanding about what they were trying to do in a scene so that then you can help them with that 
in the future when you see it come up is absolutely necessary. So you need to be able to talk to other improvisers. It's when you start taking a more of a, I was doing it better type yeah. approach. Or, Accusatory. Yeah, yeah, that sort of, why didn't you do it my way? Then it starts to go downhill. Is there a way that you deal with, in hindsight, when you know someone has given that note, is there an approach that you have to sort of re-guiding the group? Because I know, I mean, again, this is a pretty universal thing in theaters, but like I've experienced that where it goes from I feel and I observe to it can, there's a very quick uh, click from that to you should have or why didn't you. Uh, is there a way after that note has been given that uh, you as the artistic director can come in or if someone approaches you about that, uh, is there a way that you go about dealing with that? Yeah, the best way to do those, I feel, is to immediately address it. You can't <laughs> just let it sit there and be like, oh, well, we'll come back around to that. You need to take what they've said and turn it back into that observation. You know, so what you're saying is what you saw here is that this was happening. And then trying to get that understanding from the other person who they might be accusing of some action. Like, oh, what were you going for with this? Please explain. Yeah. And the more information that you can get out there about where people are coming from with their improv, the better understanding there will be. One of the ultimate goals of an artist director is to bring the group together under a singular idea. A big question that I have, and like one of the one of the other like looming questions of this podcast is everyone who comes in to uh, an improv theater, I think, has their own idea of what they want from they have their own quote-unquote artistic direction uh, that they just personally hold, whether or not they like, whether it's explicit or implicit. And all these people have different ideals and different directions that they want to go. Does the group's does the group's direction take priority, or does the personal uh, does the individual's direction take priority? Do you just let them do what they want, or or is there a balance? Or I, I think there's a balance, obviously. But like, how do you strike that? Balance, I guess is the question. Well, I think I go for more of the what's good for the group. You can't push the individual thing, and a group is gonna. It's all about you're as strong as your weakest link. That applies to an improv group that we have to still make things work and you can't just force that person on board if they're not able to keep up. So you have to make it work with what the group that you have. And some of that individual artistic direction, giving them different avenues to go down, and that's what we try to supply here at the Upfront Theater with Thursday 10 o'clock shows, which yeah. are open shows for people to do whatever they want. And allowing things like that to be an option for people so that they can put together groups that they want, do a show that they want that maybe doesn't involve everybody in the group. Trying to supply those, but also making the group shows that we usually have Friday, Saturday, where anybody can play from their main stage, where everybody needs to be on that same page, where you're coming to the stage and it's this equal level. Everybody has something to offer and figuring out what that is so that you can have an offer from this person's perspective and go down that route, but then switch it over to another person's perspective and go down that route and it being okay that you went down both those routes in the same show. Is there a way that you think is effective to get everyone on the same page when maybe necessarily people aren't on the same page? Well, 
rehearsals. I mean, people always think it's weird when I tell them I have to go to an improv rehearsal and they're like, how do you, how do you <laughs> rehearse improv? That's, and like I'm cheating at it or something. They're like, no, we're working together at the same time in order to figure each other out, right? And the more that you can actually work with your scene partners, the better. And it shows when we have that at the upfront, when people can't make it to rehearsals as often and then they play in Friday, Saturday shows, you're kind of like, oh, there's this offshoot thing to it. What we strive for too in that general direction of the theater of an artistic place to go, which is make it universally funny. And I think people start to rein in their maybe crazy offshoot artistic ideas like always making something about sand <laughs> to, <laughs> to something that people are in the audience is going to enjoy. And I think that that's part of what brings it together is figuring out your audience. How are you going to entertain them? Because it's, if you can just do whatever crazy improv thing you want down in your basement and nobody's going to watch it and that's fine, but yeah. people are paying to come uh, see you. People come watch it. <laughs> People pay to come see you at a at the Upfront Theater, and then you want to get as many of them entertained as possible. Yeah. And that's what then puts the group together, is trying to find that for the audience. And that's where some of that difference comes in. Yeah. So what, what do you think the audience at the Upfront wants? What we've discovered the audience at the Upfront wants, and I think in, being in the Dead Parrot Society, it's different. The college group of the Dead Parrot Society that came to watch us wanted very fantastical, out there, do crazy things, and have lots of kooky fun with it, which is great. It's yeah. fine. That's what the audience, let's entertain our audience. And Outfront Theater audience looks for more grounded things. They want a little bit of that fantastical taste every once in a while to kind of flare it yeah. up, but they want to be able to relate to it and understand it on that level. And where I think that comes from is that, you know, we have a lot of, it's our working class group now. It's some students still, but these are people who are doing the day to day and they want to come see a show and escape and seeing us kind of make fun of the day to day, having it be reality based where it's someone's washing dishes and then, you know, a bear comes in and they have to rush it away or something that like a little bit fantastical that a bear came in there, but it's funny for them because now they get to break up that, what the normal habits of their every day is. Yeah. So um, there's that difference. There is a difference. I, I would argue, and I'm, I'm going to use this kind of as a terrible transition, um, but I'm curious about this idea, is, uh, especially on Thursday at 8, the, the potential for Ryan Stiles being here is like a big draw for the audience. So I'm very curious about it. R- Ryan Stiles prevalent person in improv mm-hmm. all, that's his tagline yeah. uh, on whose lines anyway um, started this theater he established this theater and he is um, I mean he, he regularly attends the Thursday shows he's not typically in the weekend shows but he's around he's he's still engaged in the theater yeah. how has it been having such a high profile uh, individual being kind of one of the uh, I guess the face of the theater itself has that what challenges, I guess? Not challenges is maybe too strong a word, but how has that been? I guess. <laughs> how's it been? How's it been to have Ryan Stiles here doing improv? What challenges yeah. does that face? Oh god, it just spiked the shit out of the audio. <laughs> it doesn't really present a lot of challenges. It, it really helps the theater. It's kind of like, you know, like you like you said, it brings people in. 
And what Ryan is really good about is not sort of pressing on things. He's a real relaxed individual as far as what we do here and allows me to take control over what we do in our Friday, Saturday shows and what new formats. And I've been able to create new formats and run it however we want. He doesn't come to rehearsals and tell us how to do things. Yeah. He'll drop by like once in a blue moon at a rehearsal and kind of see what's going on. And I think some of that feeling is happens in the Thursday shows that he'll show up to where Ryan definitely knows how to please an audience. And sometimes that doesn't always mean clean cut improv scenes. <laughs> so what that, yeah, what that will sometimes mean is him doing uh, some shtick that's like, that's, that's working and it's, it's, it's selling. Them. They yeah. love it. They absolutely love it. But for some improvisers, it's jolting in the moment. They're like, oh, this isn't s- s- the smooth improv I'm used to. But that's also another kind of thing. It's like, you got to get over that. This is how this person's working. And not just because it's Ryan Stiles, yeah. but because it's a way of playing. Yeah, it's a scene partner. Yeah, it's another scene partner. It's a way of playing. This is, It's not just uh, the Ryan Stiles way of playing. People play like that. And we, you know, don't do it as much at the upfront. We try to go for this nice story arcs to our things that make it very clear what the story is about. And then Ryan likes to, he likes to shake that up and people get sort of messed up when they get shook. (laughs) But being able to take that, that shake and then move forward is nice lesson. Does he, I mean, yeah, I've seen him on stage by himself for like 25 to 30 minutes, just killing it, killing it because he know he really knows how to please an audience. And that's a, um, that self-proficiency like almost presents itself as a challenge which is uh, really interesting and it's like it's hard to see it as a challenge sometimes though right yeah he, it's that how do I move forward with what he's already doing so well <laughs> yeah yeah. do I just do I jump on to what or do I need to add yeah to it in some way yeah it's it's different just because I've been a member of the Upfront for about a year now, uh, I'm curious about this idea because it's a thing that has been certainly happening. I wonder if you have any type of remedy for it, but one of the things that you were talking about earlier is that one of the best ways for a cast to connect uh, is to show up for rehearsals. A problem at the Upfront, and not only at the Upfront, at a lot of other theaters actually, but the Upfront uh, has experienced this from my perspective is that people don't show up for rehearsals because it's not, you know, it's Monday uh, at, a, at a time and people have jobs, they have life, they, mm-hmm. you know, or they, they're doing something else or maybe they just don't, like, sometimes it's just, they just don't feel like it. So how do you rally a cast to come together? Like, is there any way that you can get your cast rehearsing together? Because I think that once a week rehearsal really just, it sets up the connection that you need to have on stage and you don't really on the weekends, you don't really have like, and you know, a half hour before the show, you don't have time to establish that, like that trust that rehearsing together does. So is there a way that you know of to like pull the, <laughs> pull the cast together or an, an idea that you have for other people who might be experiencing this? I don't know. So if somebody knows, tells me, because <laughs> I mean, it's really, I'm setting it up. I'm supplying what we have. I change up what we do at those rehearsals so as to bring variety to them. We're not always doing the same thing. And what it comes down to is people's availability. 
Mm-hmm. Can they make it? I'm not sure if some are able to make it and then just don't. But, you know, it can be taxing to do it every Monday. And I think another big factor in there, and this changes from theater to theater and was definitely different for the Dead Parrot Society, too, because nearly everybody in the Dead Parrot Society was a, some a theater student or close to being a theater student and really wanted to do improv all the time yeah. and make something of it. And a lot of what we have at the Upfront Theater are some of those same type of people and then community members, where this is a hobby for them. And they don't need to invest as much, which is not to say they're not good at improv. It's, they're good. They're just not making it their priority. Yeah. So coming to a rehearsal every week, again, is not a priority. And they feel that they could still get by in a Friday, Saturday show without it, which they can, but it would be elevated that much more if the group was coming together all the time and practicing and getting to know each other's habits and being able to be just like right on top of each other's improv. Cause just the, the show is just smoother. Yeah. And I've seen the difference between being a dead parrot and being at the upfront theater, how much I know that I can put something out there and someone's going to be right on top of it. Yeah. With me. And I have that connection with some people at the upfront theater. Yeah. And I think there are people who are, who have that and work together on stage a lot better than others. And then you have those offshoots that are disconnected and it's that, again, that balance of, well, we need to try to, when we're on stage, just understand that this person's going to come with something. And whatever it is, I can yes and it. And yes, if everybody who showed up to rehearsal all the time and we were all gelling and knowing how easily we could yes and each other's offers, then it'd be a perfect world. But it's not the way it is. Yes. And we need to then see that these per- people's offer offers are just as valuable as those ones that you're really gelling with. You're used to. Yeah. yeah. Is there, um, it's hard. It's not easy. It's a messy, icky, uh, thing, especially when you get these pockets of, of performers who like a group of performers who really like performing with each other and right. then, uh, might not necessarily, uh, do as well with other performers on stage. Is there, do you, would you say that if, if you have a group of people that are, you know, sort of together, they like performing with each other, do you encourage those people to perform with each other, or do you encourage the whole cast to try to uh, disperse, or is it a little bit of both? Uh, <coughs> 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 Dying. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a supercut yeah. of no, this edit with all only that stuff. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just it's this podcast is just gonna be you coughing. Yeah. It's gonna be like about you'll <laughs> ask questions and I'll just <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a little bit of both. And I, I mean that almost feels like the easy answer. No, it's always a little bit of both. But you want people to work together who are already gelling because that that works great. But I also feel like there's no growth in that for yeah. people. If you're always working with someone that you know that you can just sort of relax and in a way almost not do your best improv because you're not working hard at it, then you're not growing. You're not going downhill by any means. You're still at that level of like, yeah, this is this is fun. This is working out in the improv. And that's why people should be working with those other people, uh, even if they don't gel with them all the way to see where it is. There's always some overlap where it is you overlap. And it's going to make you a better improviser. 
like it is with Ryan Stiles of figuring out how to do that improv with him. It's like that with every other person. And yes, some you're going to gel with a lot easier, but having that challenge makes you try new avenues in improv, gets you better at it. And then the thing with rehearsals is that we get to push those all together, force people to work with people they don't normally work with. And that's why it'd be great if people were showing up to rehearsal. Yeah. Because then you could stretch those improv muscles with those people that you don't normally work with. But then you got to force yourself in your head again in the shows that we have with people you've not worked with to be okay with working with them and to allow it to happen. Cause there's a lot of this, once you get into a show, this feeling of they're not, they're not doing what I expected or, you know, why aren't they on the same? It's Cause you've not worked with them. Forcing yourself to do a yes. And is sometimes necessary. I think people forget how much, easier things will flow once you start accepting yeah. any offer that comes with it at you. So yeah. it's not ever an offer you expect sometimes, or it's just, this is out of left field. But if, as soon as you accept it and add on to it, it's working. I think the re rehearsal process also eases tension that can be created. Right. Um, Which is, you start to understand left field for this person a little bit more. Yes, exactly. So that's, um, how, how do you deal with, and I'm, I'm going to try to, uh, I know that you've dealt with this before, um, but and I don't want to like name names or like have specific scenarios. But how do you deal with this person? <laughs> um, <laughs> since you're the artistic director, cast members come to you expressing concerns. Do you, do you think there's an effective way if someone says, "Hey, I'm, I'm not gelling with this person. I have a problem with this type of improv or the style or the show." But like, let, let's just for this example, let's just say an improviser comes to you says, "I'm not working well with this specific person." Is there? Do, do you think there's a most effective way to move forward with that? Because that that's an issue that happens, and mm -hmm. we're human. We're gonna like not necessarily gel with each other. Yeah. Well, sometimes. I go different directions with that. Sometimes it is good to take a break from someone and that's often viewed as not the best. Like, well, you can't just step away from it. Well, sometimes it's good to just step away from it for a little while. And I don't mean forever, but like just to ease off, kind of allow that to just settle between you and this other person. So there's just this fiery fury about that yeah. person that you have. Another way, and eventually it comes to this when you do ease off is opening up that those lines of communication because what will often happen in those cases is you just assuming their, their intentions, mm -hmm. right. And then fully understanding their intentions will usually get you to a better place about it. Yeah. And if their intentions are not the best, that's another good reason why it's good to have a mediator for those communication times so that this person, usually me, right. Yeah. can be like, hey, here's where I see this coming from or here's where I think you should meet them halfway because it's not going to work if you just, you know, force you, yeah. your way into what's going on. Do you find any personal difficulty of being an objective mediator whilst also being a member of the cast who has performed with these people and developed a, a back history of these people? No. For that one, I, I've always been good at sort of separating that sort of like emotional side where it comes to just like a specific problem. So I try to make sure that I, you know, I do that and I, I separate that and just look at the moment of where it's at. 
Because it's really going to get us nowhere if I'm just like, yeah, I totally agree with this guy. You're a dick. Like, <laughs> that's not going to serve any good purpose. What it is for those ones, too, is that when that communication happens, it will usually create some sort of solution. And then where I see it go downhill is when people lose what happened in that meeting. Yeah. They'll just sort of forget it or get just go right back to what they were doing. And they need reminders of it. And I've already had that with some main stage players where I need to kind of remind them like, hey, I see this popping up again. And, you know, nobody's perfect. Yeah. So just like an improv, you're always needing to work at it. And that's the same thing of working at it with how you communicate and how you're going to do better with somebody in improv. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> again, we, we kind of keep looping back to this idea, but I think it's so important to just hit. It's rough when there are people who are not coming to rehearsal right. because that is, the, that. that is the time where you reestablish those uh, those ideals that you, you deal with in the meetings. Yeah, get those ideals about how to work with each other, find those overlaps. The more you work with each other, the more that comes out. Do you think it's more necessary if... I know you've dealt with the, this both ways, but if someone comes to you, do you think it's more effective if someone comes to you with a concern if you, the artistic director, goes to the other person or like the group of people or whatever, and as the artistic director presents this concern to them, or do you think it's more effective to have the person with the concern and uh, the, you know, whatever the concern is about uh, meet together and hear them directly from the source? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I've done it both ways. It kind of depends on the issue yeah. where I think they're going to hear it better if I just tell them and kind of give them a note and not even necessarily say, hey, this person's complaining about you, but just yeah. like, hey, here's a reminder, this note, you know, be aware of this. People take that from the artistic director a little bit better than if I was to say, hey, talk to this person as equals and try to let them tell you how they don't think something you're doing is <laughs> Very good, right? Yeah. So it's those times where I need to just sort of give that note over. But if it's a, they want, this person wants to understand your choices better, they need to hear it. So I make sure that that meeting happens. And you didn't really have this problem, or did you have this problem on the Dead Parrot Society ever when you were the artistic director? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was as prevalent. I think that, like I said, a lot of the Dead Parrot Society were of the same, were of similar mindsets where they were in life, you know, it's a younger college group. This, the upfront theater is much older people to very young people yeah. and everything in between and yeah, like all sorts of different jobs and ways of life and where they've come from. And so just making all those mash together is a lot harder than having a group of college kids who love theater and improv yeah. work together. And sometimes interpersonal things came up with them and it, you know, you would dealt, deal with it, but it wasn't. It didn't feel as much as a bigger, big separation as it is at the upfront. There's a lot of stakes going into Dead Parrots because you. you I, I would say when I was on the Dead Parrots, um, there was a lot of people who really, really wanted to get on the Dead Parrots, uh, and it wasn't like another. Like I think other college teams where it's yeah, at the beginning of the year you hold an audition, and if you kind of know what the hell you're doing, then you get on the team. Where this was, you know. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, came to multiple Tuesdays and were like putting putting a lot of effort into uh, open rehearsals. And so when you breach that, 
there is a certain quality that's expected of you and it like almost uh, lifted out of you. Would you say that that same feeling happens after you enter onto the main stage and upfront, or is it a bit different? It has changed since we got the satellite put together because I mean, people will work hard and they'll be on the satellite more than once. Yeah. Uh, we have main stagers now who were on the satellite more than once, went all the way through, didn't make it on the main stage, auditioned again, and then got back on. Where if you put the effort forward, you can get on to to the upfront. And what we also have are, so we have those people who have worked hard and been on the satellite, and that's how they got in. We still also have the old regime of people who auditioned once, got in, and that was it for them. That is a lot of where the separation is happening between those two groups, where one feels like they're putting a lot of effort in and to be here, to have got here at all. And then the others feel that they've put their time in being here a long time so that their work has, is not being appreciated, even though they've, they're not putting as much into it now. What would you say to those people who maybe feel discouraged at this point, who have tried to like, who've put a lot of effort into this and it's still, it's not, it's not, they haven't gained enough traction to make themselves reach their intentions. Well, to hold on that anything worth doing or having takes effort. And if, it was just given to you. You wouldn't appreciate it anyway. I've, I've heard a, uh, a lot of people give the advice that if you feel stagnant in your improv, you should take a break from improv and go invest in something else in your life. Do you think that's a good piece of advice for people who are trying things and it's just not working out for them right now? Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. yeah. Same here? It works because you can't just do improv where because improv is pulling from what you have (laughs) and if you've sort of used it up then you're just pulling from the same stuff and that's where it feels stagnant again and getting yourself out there and being creative and then I think where part of that is is you don't always have to take a break right but that's the very direct way of doing it take a break do something else you oh okay I feel re-energized but also making it so that improv and for some, it becomes this way that improv is not your life. Yeah. It's not everything you do. Yeah. Where that's your only focus. Yeah. Do some improv, but also go, I don't know, play music or do a sport or, you know, whatever else. Take a engages, hike. <laughs> yeah. Take a hike. Engages you in your life and realize that, that improv isn't the only thing that you can be doing in order to engage yourself. You have to be doing those other things in order to make your improv good. Yeah, because I mean, I, th- I I think that's actually one of the best ways to practice improv is by doing anything but improv. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just get it. You you just get more things in your life uh, that you can pull from because that's you can practice the technical side over and over and over again. You can get you can know every single part of everything, but if if you don't have the the basin of a well-lived life to perform from, then you don't, you, you just, you know how to do it, but you turn a blank on stage. Right. And that's, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, you've used it all up. 
how the fuck do you tell people that though? <laughs> <laughs> well, some of what I've been telling people and I'm, from our recent meetings from Mainstage is what I like to say and what I've been really hitting on lately and kind of figuring out for myself too, being the artistic director and the education director and trying to play when I can and being here at least 40 hours a week plus doing improv and making improv my life. It's like, oh yeah, go do your work. My work is improv. (laughs) Is that it's just improv comedy for us. Improv has multifaceted things and you can use it for all sorts of stuff to do plays and and get really deep and serious and find emotional depth to everything. But we do comedy here at the Upfront Theater, improv Mm -hmm. comedy. And that's just it. People can get so serious and so in their heads and just really play out every little bit. How did the, why did this person do this to me? And what my, what I did on stage. And I can't believe I did that character. Yeah. It's comedy yeah. improv. And that's what I said. Just relax and have fun. And if you're not relaxing and having fun, you should stop doing it. Yeah. And I don't mean completely, but like stop doing it for a little while. Take a step back. Yeah, because why, why the hell did you get into it yeah. in the first place? Because it was fun. Why are you still doing it now yeah. if it's just terrible for you? Yeah, that's... Um, that's how you tell someone. It's Yeah, it's comedy. Comedy improv. Relax, have fun. Yeah. The more fun you have up on stage, the more fun the audience is going to yeah. have. That energy goes back and forth. And yeah, not like, oh, I'm a terrible person because I did a scene back right. one time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I laugh, but I've definitely been there before. I've been there, too. Yeah, it's just like, oh, um, And it's good. Try to, like, improve and get yourself better, but you can't kill yourself over it that much. Yeah, because that, that, that there is a, a vicious balance where you need to hold yourself accountable for quality. Like, you right. need to. Yeah, you can't just do whatever, fuck around, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, look at it, poo on stage. You, know, it doesn't, you can't just do anything, right? Like, like shit on stage. Yeah, like shit on stage. You can't just shit on stage. Gonna, some of the audience is going to love that. Some of them is going to hate it. But <laughs> yeah, you got to hold yourself accountable. But at the same time, you got to be having fun. Yeah. That's why I got into improv because yeah. it's fun and I love the feeling of it. Yeah, Sometimes no. it's not there and I need to take a step back. Yeah, that's how do you get into because I know exactly what we're talking about, and I like when you talk to anyone who's done improv, at least on a professional quote unquote or performance level, uh, I think everyone who's gotten on stage with people they trust can relate to that like that feeling of it, where it's just like at the end of the show you're just like yeah. Is there a way that you get into that mode before a show that uh, headspace? before a show where you can just be fully like there. I mean, I, I, the way I define it is being present. It's just being fully present on stage. Uh, is there a way that like you, the process you go through, do you have like a ritual or something, or is it just like a, a mantra or a mind space that you go into, or are you just here to do it? I think some of that is warm ups. Sometimes we forget to do that here at the upfront <laughs> theater just to warm up before we get on stage. But even just standing in a circle with your other improvisers and yeah. doing zip zaps out is like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at these yeah. people and we're connected. And sometimes it's not really a mantra, but it's that same thing of just like, all right, let's, let's just have some fun. It doesn't mean I'm going to drop every good improv habit I have, but my focus right now is having fun. So I'm still going to bring all that stuff, all that decade plus of improv experience I have with me on stage 
And then I just need to remind myself sometimes, yeah, let's have some fun out there. Yeah. And like, if you think about what you're thinking about, as you go, don't think. If you think about yeah, what you're thinking about, think. you're not paying attention to what's happening. Yeah. And you start being like, okay, the, uh, what I what I need in this show is a character and I'm in a storage space. <laughs> yeah. You start putting that all in your head. You're going to destroy yourself. Yeah. Don't think. Go out there. Have fun. Yeah. I think warm-ups are very necessary, and, I, and we sometimes don't do them before shows that you hear. Yeah. Uh, and that's, there's been this weird kind of, I guess, I have learned kind of inadvertently through that how to be like, go, go from sitting, just being like, I'm sitting around drinking, it's like, oh, okay, we're, and get up and get ready. I think there's, there's certainly a merit to that, where warm-ups help you get in that headspace, but I've learned that no matter what you think, you can still access that. You can. You can, and that's, and even if you think that you're not, like, ready or if you need to take a breath, like, that thought or that breath, it's still going to happen, whether or not that happens. So, yeah, I mean, because some groups, I mean, I've experienced this with the Dead Parrot Society, and then especially when I revisit it for a festival where it's like, we're going to warm up for an hour. Yeah, exactly. Before we go out, exactly. that's, it's it's almost too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah, I was like, I'm going to use it all up back here. <laughs> Warm it up. So, yeah, to be able to just get up and be like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, that's... Um, okay. I guess that's part of it, right? It's just, it's just like, let's do this. I'm prepared. Yeah, and then it, it comes back to like making the personal choice to be engaged. Making yeah. Them, like, rather than disengaging from you know your scene partner or from like from even like i think not showing up to rehearsals is a form of disengagement and so it's i yeah. think it's always beneficial to be uh, as engaged as you possibly can be and it's about listening yeah if you're ready to listen to whatever this person has to give and that's what it is you can't get up and be like okay let's we'll, we'll see what happens yeah you'll be like okay i'm ready to i'm ready to see i'm ready to hear what's going to go on and listen to that person who's not been at rehearsals with you and hear their offer yeah. and go with it. And I think that's listening. I've been thinking about how listening is hard. And I, I've heard the term listening to listen rather than listening to respond, which mm -hmm. I like, but I don't think it fully covers what it means to listen to someone. And I think of, uh, I was just down at SFIT and I really like this idea that was presented to me of, Truly listening means that you will be changed by the end of the thing that something's presenting to you, either in a way that is now I believe something different or the belief that I have has now been reinforced, which is still a tangible change. And I think I don't really have a question. I'm just kind of talking right now because I'm like, I, 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 love, I love the idea of listening. I love the idea of listening on stage because yeah, that's what improv is. That's the dynamic change of improv. Yeah, that's that that big thing that people try to say: listening as opposed to hearing. Yeah, and sometimes I see it happen on stage where people are just listening slash hearing, only li listening to when that person's done talking. Yeah. Okay. When's the end of it? Okay. Now I can say my thing, and that's not listening, right? It's listening is that thing of you're taking in it and you're having cognitive thoughts about it yeah and then responding that's all that's part of the listening it's not just using your ears but using your head to mm -hmm. what has been said you're hearing it and it's going in your brain and swirling around and doing something and like you said changing you or reinforcing an idea or 
getting you opposed to what has been said. Yeah. And you responding appropriately. Yeah, that's... I think <laughs> the difficulty for some people uh, is the, the response... Because you can be a great listener and you can say yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and part, uh, like it's, it's, it's kind of there, <laughs> like maybe, um, but that's been, a, that's been, uh, like, I mean, that's always for every improviser. That's always the, how do you, how do you listen fully change and then provide an interesting, engaging thing? Um, and I think that's actually, if, if I were to name a thing, that is in front of people or in the way of people getting from, you know, a not main stage or not before, if they're trying to get on a troop, I think that's a thing that really is. I've seen a lot of people who are fantastic at, at accepting what's happening. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, there's, there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of that in satellite right now. Yeah. With people are missing the and. Yeah. It's like, and sometimes it's like, it's, it's hard because it's like, sometimes it's just like, the conclusion that I come to, and this is fucking judgy as shit, but it's like this person's not like interesting. It's like I'm not I'm not interested in watching them. Right? Because what we're seeing is what we're talking about is that they're listening. It's swirling in around in their head, and it's just a big empty space that it swirled around <laughs> it, and they just say "yup" because it just comes back out the same thing that it went in. Do you? Uh, I mean, I, I we've already talked about I th- my advice for this, and I think maybe you agree with it is that. Uh, doing anything that's not improv. Right, because then you could put, you create all those ands. You're able to hear something and to almost anything someone said, and you're like, I've had some experience with that. Thanks for yeah. talking about it. Here's what I have to offer. Yeah. Yeah. And someone like, like when I, uh, when I started working at the bakery that I work at right now, I noticed that it's just, I was naturally bringing baker knowledge into improv. And it was yeah. funny because it was so specific. I did produce at Fred Meyer and <laughs> all sorts of produce things because <laughs> I know about it. Rattle them yeah. off. Do you have advice for cast members as to how to interact with your artistic director? So not from your perspective, but from the cast. Is, is there a thing that a perfect cast member does or like a series of things <laughs> a, a perfect cast member in relation to an artistic director can do uh, that help the whole transition or help the whole thing run smoothly? Yeah, it's it's this idea of being open about your ideas. I want to hear an artistic director. I think any a good one wants to hear what their players have to say, but at the same time, don't push it as if it was the only way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. You know, <laughs> it's it's good. Get your opinion out there, but sometimes people approach it with that kind of like, this is the way it should be done, mm-hmm. and that's not always true. Again, it's that kind of, it makes me put up a wall if you're telling me I'm doing it wrong, right? Yeah. Instead of being like, here's my opinion on it, you know, put that into consideration. And it'll often change what I'm doing or I'll work a component of it into whatever it is, how rehearsals are run, how a format should go. So it's that being direct and open about what you have to say, but not forcing it and not making it seem like it's the only way because no group works together when one person's just forcing something yeah especially when that person's not the leader <laughs> right and even as artistic director i'm not pushing things where it's like this is the only way unless we need to 
really move forward with something where it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. You know, because sometimes that needs to happen. But it's also like, let me hear opinions and allow me to take those in as needed to form something that's going to work well for everyone. Why One of the reasons why I'm interested in the concept of being an artistic director is because I think everyone sort of, you are the uh, the siphon or the funnel yeah. in which all of everyone's creative energy goes through. And so that's like everyone comes to you and then you say like, in the musical, we uh, we start out with a town song and then we have an I want song. And then and that's the way that we allow our creative energy to explode out onto the stage. Um, is there a, is there any other ways that you think a cast can can be supportive of their artistic director, or is that like is that a big one? Is that well, I mean that's it too, right? Getting your opinions out there so that things are heard and and we can sort of be collaborative, and then yeah, I'll siphon it into you know where I think it needs to go, but I, I am taking those things in. But also this support, and I think that that's something as cast members we forget to do, and I've certainly been there too, where it's, oh yeah, this artistic director person is human and they could use some support or uh, reassurance that their ideas are good or appreciated yeah, and that they're appreciated in what they do. And I don't need a pat on the back and a, you know, every day as I go out or anything like that, but yeah. just some reassurance in that of like, yeah, some check-ins and for people to appreciate the work that's being done helps me to want to do it more and do good for them. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of hard work that is behind the yeah. scenes. That's a huge thing. Like, Cause it's oftentimes only hearing about the complaints and not just complaints about like me or as an artistic director, but complaints about other things or other people or other, yeah. or, you know, try to think about what's going good every yeah. once in a while and sharing those things because when when it's continuous negativity yeah it, it i think it translates to the feel of the job especially or yeah if somebody has a problem with like you know a, another person that's like when they come into contact with that other person it's they forget that there's positive aspects to that person too right so it's like that's just like, like i need to give positive feedback as well as constructive yeah. ones and the same needs to come back to me Otherwise, I don't know what's good or what's not. All, all I, a lot of times, all I hear is what's not. Yeah. So it's like, well, it's nothing working. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there's a bit of self-awareness that, like, I think a lot of cast members need to be accountable and self-aware, not only um, for how they are treating the other people and what sort of energy they're coming up, but also, like, just the quality of their own performance because that's... Right. Uh, it, it's... <laughs> It's a struggle when some people think that they have reached the perfect level. Right. They have reached this optimal level where, especially, and I guess maybe you can talk to this a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure if this has been specifically to the upfront theater, but when people get put onto a, a performance ensemble or like the main stage cast, that I think some people can interpret that inherently as I have reached the level of proficiency that is acceptable to perform at. And I think they don't necessarily say, tell themselves that they don't need to grow anymore, but that's kind of what happened. Is there a way to breach that? Is there a way to get through to that type of person, that type of performer? Because I've experienced it before and it's frustrating. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen that here and at, on the Dead Parrot Society. Yeah. Where it's just like, there, I've, I've made it. No one says that out loud to themselves in the mirror or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. 
but <laughs> you know you <laughs> kind of settle into this like yeah here's where I'm at I'm just gonna I keep doing the things I'm doing because it's working and for the most part it is what you need to do with those people is, is get more direct mm-hmm. and there is that artistic director that where you were working with the whole group this is good for the whole group we need to work on these things be more collaborative and th- things like that and then sometimes you need to be like hey you person this is what's going on with you and some people really need that in order to be like oh my goodness I didn't yeah. know I had looked in the mirror and said I made it <laughs> every day yeah <laughs> Yeah, being more direct, I guess, is the answer to that. Sometimes that's needed, and I think sometimes it's forgotten that it's that you have to get to each individual every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, and it's just like with with the element of positivity beneath. Yeah, it's like exactly. I'm here to help you. Like, I'm looking to make you improve. Yeah, yeah, I'm, and I'm looking to make all of my players improve. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I think that's as a cast and as an artistic director, just understanding that. And I, I've heard you say this directly, but it's like we're all here. To help, each- we're all here to do the best show possible and to help each other improve. I don't think anyone comes into there. There might be a couple assholes scattered around America within the improv community right. who like are like, eh, like <laughs> I'm gonna make everyone look bad but me. But I think by and large, especially in a community as supportive as the improv community is, most people come in wanting to help out and wanting to be the best improviser that they can be and like with a group of other people one more question uh is there anything that you weren't anticipating before you became an artistic director of of either the dead parrots or the upfront that was sort of an unexpected thing that you had to deal with or unexpected uh you know it's like it's it's like yay i'm the artistic director and now I'm a year in and these are the things that I wasn't fully like cognizant of when I first started yeah it would be that kind of like here at the Upfront Theater being an HR manager and I guess it could be the said to be the same at the with the Deaf Parrot Society which is having to take care of people's emotions yeah. you know that I'm turning into this artistic papa that has to watch out for people, you know, and they're grown adults, right? Yeah. But people get their feelings hurt and finding ways to deal with that. And, you know, for the most part, for me, an artistic director, like I want to create cool shows and get everybody really good at improv and do those cool shows together. But you get a bunch of passionate people together who have strong opinions. Yeah, they have strong opinions and then strong emotions and then emotions that get strongly hurt when others have strong opinions towards them and then having to deal with that level of it. Is there anything that you've learned about dealing with the emotions of... Is there a a nugget or a, a way that... Or a thing that you could tell someone who is in a similar position that would maybe be beneficial to, to dealing with the uh, strong emotions and opinions of your cast is that there's no way of stopping it from happening and for a while when like in the dead parrot society when i first was artistic director is this kind of idea of like oh eventually this will end it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't people there always be something there always be these passionate emotions so don't ever think it'll end and open up the communication don't let people start talking to each other in little clicks or anything like that Mm -hmm. where they only talk to people who agree with them it only fuels the fire of what they're 
that these deep emotions they have towards other players might be. Yeah. So opening up lines of communication is absolutely key. You have to do that. And okay. that is not easy sometimes. Yeah. And people don't want to have this conflict and have it open between them. But I've seen it work. And these lines of communication happen. And like I said, that overlap happens. You got to get people communicating. And sometimes you got to force it. Yeah. Is there is there a way outside of just having a mediated meeting that you can... Is there, like, some sort of encouragement that, like... Yeah, I mean, reminding people to talk to each other uh, and also finding things, which I'm trying to do more at the upfront, too, is finding things to do as a group that isn't improv. You know, go out bowling together and people start talking about other things or have a movie night where you get to make fun of a movie all together. Yeah bonding things which again open up that line of communication but yeah do something other than improv yeah. don't always make it about improv and I think that's you if you're only performing with people you kind of stop seeing them as people quote unquote right and yeah. start seeing them as just this is like a strictly professional performance uh, venue and I think like even yeah even just uh, bowling is a great an hour of bowling like as dumb as that sounds I think just re- is a is this sort of subtle reminder it's like oh we're all just people and we're just doing this we have, and who have not only just all just people but we all have the same passion like we all love this art form together uh, and I think that I don't know it's just unity it's just trying to like form some sort of unity which yeah. is like it's fun to talk about it's easy to talk about and it's hard to actually put into uh, implementation. Uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't uh, we haven't touched upon? I don't know. I don't know that I can think of anything. Okay, you don't. Yeah, I was like, you don't you know. Just keep or... thinking. Uh, you know, there's always something to talk about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Character wise. Yeah, I just like. I want to. I, I feel like we, we've gotten a good overarching kind of of what it means. Um, oh my bat! And my battery's running low. As a uh, sign from the gods. I have 12% battery. Time to go. Yeah. Um, I'm actually just going to... Yeah, so i got a half hour remaining. So let's just keep recording. Uh, I'm going to let this... Uh, I'm going to let my laptop die. We're going to lose it. I'm going to apologize to you. You're not going to be on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all the time you put in. Yeah, yeah. I know. This was just a tactical way to waste your time. Really quick before we go, actually, I, I thought of another thing. Um, mm-hmm. So you're the education director and the education director. Mm-hmm. That so the role of our education director alongside artistic director. Is there? I've seen it where those two roles are split. Do you think it's effective to have the artistic director also be the education director, or do you think it's bad, more beneficial to have both of them apart? Yeah, we've had it split here before, and. I think it's beneficial if it's split and those two people are working closely together. Okay. Uh, I think it's been beneficial for us here for me to do both, which is the first time that that's happened. Okay. I'm the first person to ever be an artistic and education director at the Upfront Theater. Oh, cool. And what I've done with that and what I'm trying to do with that is sort of put this artistic focus around what we're doing so that we're teaching our students what we expect them to be able to be capable of as a main stager and not all of our students want to be main stagers and that's fine but kind of like we're all under now a more close understanding of what improv is 
for us as main stagers and as students. So when students watch shows, they can be like, oh, I, can, I see what they're doing there. Yeah. And they have these similar concepts and theories that we've taught to them that are coming across in performances. And having that unity to it has brought the upfront community, which is more than just main stagers, it's main stage satellite, volunteers, front of house, students, uh, teachers, closer together so that it's this upfront community of like, this is what improv is for us. Mm-hmm. And it opens up again, those lines of communication that we all have similar things to talk about because we are now in the same artistic focus of what it is, what we're teaching in the school and what we're doing on stage. And it hadn't always been like that. Yeah. So it's almost, you know, by being the education director, you are sort of an extension of the artistic direction of the upfront into the people who are main stage. Yeah, because what, I mean, what would happen before is that in those classes, it, it, a lot of it was the teachers would just kind of teach whatever they thought how improv should be done. Yeah. And so as you go through the levels, you would get a whole different range of different ways and everything, which is good to, again, like I said, take in what works for you, but there still needs to be some overarching theme to what we believe improv is. Yeah. And it wasn't there before. Yeah. So people were like, well, that's not the way I was taught by my foreign level teacher. And yeah. Like, well, okay, well, we're trying to do it this way, right? And now we have that. We have that much, much more. We still get perspectives of teachers. They're teaching it their way, but with a curriculum that we've kind of, that I've set up and written out. We didn't have it written out before. If, it's kind of free yeah, for If all. you can believe that. It was just like, teach basic things. Teach less basic <laughs> things. Teach more advanced things. And now I've written out curriculums and being like, please cover these topics. Yeah. Cover them in the way that you want to, but cover them so that everybody has this same sort of base level understanding yeah and ways to approach those that base level before we go can we just can you just um speak to the revolutionary idea of yes sand and how uh, <laughs> uh, adding sand to any improv scene is uh will make you a better professor <laughs> it will um, adding sand to any improv scene will create the worst Scenes that will only be about sand. Damn it. Damn it. No, it's revolution. It's only going to be about sand. So if I do a scene and I go, hey, here's a, here's a bowling ball. We should, is this the right weight for you? Here's a bowling ball, a 10 pound one. Go ahead and use it. What do you say? Uh, I have this baggie of sand. I have this Ziploc bag of sand. I'm going to pour the sand into the finger holes of the bowling ball. Now there's more sand in this bowling ball. Okay, well then, yes, I have a sandwich. This no. is not, that's not your sand. No, no. That's not your no. sand. Just the- <laughs> you have to physically add sand to the <laughs> Well, I have sand that I'm going to pour over the lane for the bowling to help your bowling ball. Yes, sand. I have a sandwich with <laughs> sand in it. <laughs> See, this is the funniest yeah, no, approach. No, this no, is the funniest it's, approach. It's terrible. It's, it's the worst thing ever, especially if you have to start everything by saying yes, sand. You're saying yes, sand, and then you're saying sand again. Yeah, it's, just, you, it's just yes, sand, and my sand. 
It's just reinforcing the idea. You don't need to say yes, sand every time. It's just nice to say it to remind everyone that this scene is about sand now. <laughs> yes, sand. <laughs> Sandra here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sandra here. Has a lot of sand. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, in her sandals. In her, oh! Well, that's a new one. I haven't heard sandals yet. <laughs> hmm. That's okay. Well, we're, we're revolutionizing the form uh, every yes, day. Yes, Sam. Yes, Sam. Chris, is there anywhere or any plugs that you have? If people are interested in the Upfront Theater, how can they find you it online? And how, is there any personal things that you want to plug? Hey, go to theupfront.com. We have shows every weekend. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you'll always see something awesome, something new, because that's what we do. Improv comedy. It's always new. And if you come on a Thursday at 8 o'clock, you just might see Ryan Styles yeah. of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. I don't know if you heard about that guy. And <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personal to plug right okay. now. But, yeah. yeah. You know, so, do some um, shows on occasion. Yeah, if you're in Bellingham, Washington, check out the Upfront Theater. It's it's a really awesome theater. It's like a great, very very well built and just a professional, like hilarious cast. Um, you can find me at jacobalexanderfirm.com. Uh, and until next time, uh, I don't know, just be good people. <laughs> yes, sand. Yes, sand.